Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Cut the Cord podcast, episode 10. I'm Ryan, and I'm joined by some other streaming media nerds, Mal, and Alistair. Hello! Together we take on television for those who have cast off the tyranny of their local cable provider. Each week we gather here to find a great show to watch from the often overwhelming variety of shows to choose from. We review the prior week's selection, then we pick a new show and do it all over again. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. This week's show is Netflix's Iron Fist. Our companion song is the cleverly titled Iron Fist Main Title by Trevor Morris. (laughs) So let's take a listen. <laughs> boring music here, boring music here. It's, it's, it's okay. So, I actually want to get to the music when we get to the parts about the show. So, But anyway, Iron Fist is created by Scott Buck, stars Fen Jones as Danny Rand, Jessica Henwick as Colleen Wing, Tom Pelfrey as Ward Meacham, Jessica Stroop as Joy Meacham, Rosario Dawson as Claire Temple, Dave Winham as Harold Meacham, and Wai Ching Ho as Madame Gao. So, Iron Fist, quite frankly, is pretty terrible. We'll <laughs> just get that right up there on Front Street. <laughs> I'd like to hazard an unpopular opinion. It is not total crap, because crapping serves a useful function. <laughs> this sinks right to the bottom. The essential lot for Iron Fist is, you know, Danny Rand is a small child. His plane crashes. They're on a mysterious trip that they kind of reveal a little bit later some deeper reasons behind it. The plane crashes in the Himalayas. He is taken by some monks into Kunlun, which is one of the cities of heaven, and it only reappears every 15 years, so he can't come back for 15 years. He does all this mystical training there, becomes the Iron Fist. They tease that he fights a dragon, which is how you become the Iron Fist. You go into a cave and there's a dragon there and you have to, like, get its heart. There's all kinds of cool stuff there, but instead of that, we get board Mm -hmm. meetings. Like... They just don't know what's interesting about their own show. So then Danny comes back to New York as basically a homeless street philosopher who's acting like he's an alien from 100 years ago, not someone who was in New York 15 years ago. He, like, you get the picture that he's, like, mystified by, like, cars mm-hmm. and cell phones. I'm like, dude, you're not that out of date, right? He has his iPod with him, doesn't he? Yeah, his iPod from when he was a kid, yeah. You know, that kind of like sideways into the music for the show, which, despite the terrible name for the opening sequence, is actually pretty damn good. There's a lot of hip-hop influence in the show. Does that feel manufactured? Do you really see this person suddenly having discovered hip-hop and liking it? New York is the epicenter of hip-hop, one of them anyway, so I I buy it. Yeah, but Danny Rand hasn't lived there for 15 years. I see white kids liking Wu-Tang Clan and, and all of that. All right. I, all right. I can buy that. Then Danny wants 
control of his company, which is very strange, right? To become the Iron Fist, you have to renounce worldly possessions and your sense of self and all of that and become a defender of Kunlun Mm -hmm. as your ultimate thing. But then he goes on this quest to reclaim his name, which he does a lot of things that betray the very fundamentals of being Iron Fist. Like, he breaks his vow of chastity. He becomes attached to individual people. You know, very Jedi-like in a way, a lot of the training. Same, similar roots there. So he eventually, through some, not even his manipulations, just that one of the characters decides he should have it back, and then suddenly he's back in Rand. It, that's kind of a bunch of spinning wheels that go nowhere. But the whole thing, right, you spend two or three episodes with all this infighting for the board, and then it's resolved with an almost like deus ex machina, where the person just says, just give it to him. So nothing they did mattered. It was a whole wasted energy and plotline there. What a waste of time. What an absolute waste of time. There are parts of it that are okay. In trying to be objective, I I made a list of things that were good, and I made a list of things that were bad about the show. And the list of good things is pretty small, and the list of bad things. I can name two great things right at the top of my head. Madam Gow and Claire Temple. So my list has two things on it. The first one is supporting cast, Night Nurse, Madam Gow, Colleen Wing. They were far better than the main character. Far more compelling and interesting. So, yes, absolutely. Of all the characters in that entire show, I was not drawn to any of them particularly. I had had no empathy with the lead, and I felt like I was watching a bunch of robots performing on a stage, not actors being in a character. It was stilted, awkward, uncomfortable. I felt like I was watching the dress rehearsal for a show. Right. Or a director who doesn't know how to say, let's try that again. <laughs> no, this time, a moat. <laughs> There's a bit of story to the production of this. And this goes to one of my big objections to it. The objection is, in a show about one of the premier martial artists in the universe, your fight scenes cannot be boring. Here's part of what happened. Finn Jones had three weeks to go from zero experience to playing Danny Rand, which is criminal negligence. He saw the mock-ups 15 minutes before cameras rolled. I am willing to forgive him his role in the fight because of this. He got screwed. The fight coordinator has gone on record to back this up. This entire series was criminally mismanaged by the producers. And it shows. It really does. When you're watching the fight scenes, I'm going to compare it to another Netflix show, Daredevil, which season one blew me away. There's I a particular scene. Yeah, there's a particular scene in Daredevil where he goes into this Russian human smuggling ring and there's this fight scene in this the hallway. one-take hallway. The one-take hallway. That's how you film a fight scene. In contrast, there are scenes in here that have well over 50 rapid cuts in a minute-long fight scene. A lot of the fights happen in the dark. They're shot from behind the person. They're really poorly edited. There's actually an episode that immediately came to mind to me when I was watching these fight scenes, which is not a comparison you should be making to an old episode of the Golden Girls, where they enter a dance contest, right? And none of them can dance, and they film them from, like, the waist up, like, making faces and kind of moving their hands like they're dancing. Then they'll cut to their legs, where, you know, a much younger dancer is doing the dance moves. That's what these fight scenes look like. You should not be comparing your premier martial arts thing to the dance scenes from the Golden Girls. If you are, you've got a bad show on your hands. And what mystifies me is why they didn't use the stunt crew from Luke Cage even. Because we saw the raid on Christmas Attica. That was a multiple take, multiple angle fight, long fight that was still absolutely compelling. Part of that was the Wu-Tang Clan music. But also just 
the fact that everything was seamless, there was a through line, everybody was looking where they're supposed to look. There are a few fight scenes in here that are actually okay. The Master. Exactly the one I was going to bring up. That one is done really well. There's also a fight scene with the Hatchetman that isn't too bad. Uh, the hallway, yeah. I just, uh, I just rewatched that today. I thought it was quite interesting. But, I mean, it was... It did seem very stop-start. The engagement was flurry with two opponents, then another flurry, and it was like those old like Hong Kong th- Hong Kong movies where the bad guys line up to take their kicking. You know, yes. that's how it felt to me. There was a lot of chop food. Iron Fist comes from Marvel's desire to cash in on those things. If there's a certain amount of cheesy martial arts and some sound effects and things like that, I could live with that. But there's no real, and this goes to a larger issue with the show, there's no real overall tone or even through storyline or dramatic thread or theme or anything like that throughout these. Actually, when I was looking this up to try and get information for who the director is, every single episode has a different director, except for one person who directed two episodes. Yeah. That's bad. Again, there's serious production issues. Definitely. Content warning on something I want to get out of the way, because, Ryan, you pointed out Danny Rand's creation. He was co-created by a man named Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas is a raging tire fire, and they managed to track him down and get him to sit down in front of a microphone for an interview recently about the casting of a white man as Danny Rand. The first words out of his mouth. I don't know why people wanted so much to see an Oriental in the role. Oh, wait, you can't even say Oriental these days. We were working with a tainted product. I think that's true, and I actually think... This is another issue I have on my list to talk about, which is whitewashing. I was also going to bring that up. Another Marvel Cinematic Universe film that kind of had to deal with this was Doctor Strange, when they replaced the Ancient One with Tilda Swint. I understand why they did it. China is a huge market, Mm -hmm. and you can't really have anything that shows Tibet in a positive light. So I kind of get why they did that. And Tilda Swinton was good in the role. That's the difference between her, I think, and the actor who plays Danny Rand. He's not particularly good or compelling. I just never bought him. That might have to do with his character motivations being really unclear uh-huh. as to why he's doing things. Let's let's talk about well, that a little bit. Let's get a little SJW on terms here because something that really got me about the early press about this is a conflation between whitewashing and white savior. You can't whitewash Danny Rand. Danny Rand is a white character. He has to be because he is an example of a different trope. He is a white savior. He is Matt Damon in The Great Wall. He is the white guy who goes to the people of color and does what they do better and saves their ass doing it. Again, it taints the product. With Tilda Swinton, that was whitewashing, because the character was Tibetan. Most of the magical philosophy in Doctor Strange is either proto-Celtic or corrupted Eastern mysticism. One of the things that I was saying a lot when Iron Fist was first announced was, why not do Shang-Chi? Right, the master of Kung Fu. Yeah. He was your friend of House Kitchen. Just take out Fu Manchu, which, yeah, Yellow Peril. Take out that whole subplot, put him into the greater plots with the other characters, and you've got it. You can avoid both tropes. Try doing a little bit of research to see if after Mighty Avengers, his rights are an issue. I couldn't find anything. I'm actually kind of mystified, unless they wanted to do Heroes for Hire, which I can see, but that doesn't work with the Luke Cage we got. The Luke Cage we got works so much better 
with Jessica as a romantic interest than with Danny as a friend. See, you bring up Luke Cage, which is kind of a good point, too, because Luke Cage also comes from kind of a, almost like a poisoned well, the same way that Iron Fist does, because he comes from Marvel, wanted to cash in on the black exploitation. Right. Movies. It's cultural imperialism. Yes. Yes, very much so. It's funny we should come to imperialism twice in two shows. It's a big issue, and it's a backdoor issue. It's not something that immediately presents itself when you think, oh, that's interesting. And then and then you look at it. Why cast Finn Jones as Danny Rand? There must be so many martial artists who have training and who are actors who could fill that role and do a really good job of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. It's not like he had a big fan following coming off of Game of Thrones. And it's not like he nailed the character of Danny Rand and his fighting was just terrible because he didn't have preparation. Yeah. He's not very convincing. What I would expect to see from Iron Fist, especially if you're going to go with the white savior model of someone who does it better, mm-hmm. right, is someone who's mystical and serene and wise and has the insights and discipline that you get from Kung Fu. And he has none of that. He's a raging idiot. Yeah, it's idiot. Idiot. That's exactly right. He is... That maybe they might be going for, like, the I'm a 10-year-old child, but that's not quite oh, it God. either what they're going for. In some scenes, it is... That fucking plane crash. It's almost Martha Wayne's pearls, too. Yes, then you're exactly right. It's like that touchstone that keeps going back to... He's kind of like a cross between, I don't know, Batman and a moron. <laughs> I was annoyed by it to begin with. This whole sort of, oh, this whole thing is completely unusual to me. I wonder, you know, how does the world work? And I'm, a person from another country could come to the United States and blend in like they wouldn't... Sure, they wouldn't be able to talk to people initially, maybe, if they didn't speak English. But this guy had the advantage of speaking English and having like at least a, a youth in the uh, in the country. And he's wandering around in his bare feet, like, oh, this is completely acceptable and normal. I'm not going to stand out at all. It just irritated me to start with. In about languages. We had so many times where they were speaking Mandarin and they never subtitled it. In Daredevil, we got Mandarin, we, we got Russian, we got Korean. And except for one scene where it was part of the joke, they always subtitled it. I mean, personally, aesthetically with me, I like when characters speak another language and they don't subtitle it. But I think that's just an aesthetic thing. But on the flip side of that, there are times when there are characters who are not native English speakers alone and they speak to each other in English. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Are they using that sort of universal translator trope? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's times when, like, Madame Gao will be talking to her henchmen and they're alone in China, literally in a Chinese warehouse with people. Oh, with yeah. Chinese people, and they're speaking English. What the hell? <laughs> in China Trip, the drunken master fight, Colleen against who I assume is her mother, and Madame Gao just taunting Danny with information, were the only three things that get me going in two episodes. That's maybe four scenes in two episodes. I think those were actually the best episodes from the series. I want to discuss something just very briefly as a, as a quiet aside, which is something about all the Marvel TV series as a whole, which I'm going to earn myself a lot of uh, disfavor here, but I think they drag out plot lines. Yes. yes. They take a good idea and stretch it over like five episodes which fit into one or two. Yes. It's really disappointing. It smacks of lazy writing to me, you know? Their seasons are usually 13 episodes long. They really should be 10 episodes long, right? Because you could take Iron Fist, and this is my recommendation for you. If you're going to watch Iron Fist, skip like the first four or five episodes because everything that happens to them is completely irrelevant and either gets resolved or never mentioned again. So after those that point, you don't really need those episodes. Like You can cut all that content and have yeah. 
no loss of the show. Which is a stupid way of writing. Because it does get better as it goes on. So Because <laughs> they're getting you know. practice. <laughs> yes. One thought I was having, besides the Drunken Master fight, a little bit of the stuff when he fought the Hatchet Man, mm-hmm. what I enjoyed was when he was in that martial arts tournament and he was having kind of flashbacks to his mentor talking to him, like basically preparing him for each like move he's going to do or the lesson he needs to learn from the fight. Like very Kung Fu, yeah. the old TV series, right? Where you have a master giving his advice. If they had done that all of the fight scenes, I would have enjoyed it so much more. Then we go back to a comparison to another white savior, cultural imperialist project. Again, these are not the go-tos we should have for something like this. We're circling this wagon a little bit here. Going back to the whole like white savior, whitewashing controversy, I feel like they're in a no-win position with this project. Oh, yeah. If you do what they did, you're going to be accused of like the white savior mm-hmm. problem. If you make him Asian, suddenly now you're like fetishizing that culture. So you're really in a hard place here to navigate. Whichever path they chose to walk down, they're going to end up with problems, but they chose to walk that path poorly. And that makes every problem glaring. Going to the things that actually happened, every episode had three independent stories that hardly ever talked to each other. We had Jim, who is really trying to be Robert Duvall, exploring the immortality he sold his soul to the hand for. We have his children, who are trying to do things with the company that I love procedural dramas and I couldn't keep track. And then we have Danny Rand trying to make us care about it. <laughs> On my list of things that are bad, I just have one word written down. Meachums. What are you talking about? I got... No. No, I disagree. Lots of <laughs> other things, but that's my entire note. I didn't find any of their stuff very interesting. Did you just scroll the word all over the page? <laughs> Yeah, it's like red rum written on the walls just over and over again. It's just completely uninteresting. Like, in a TV series about super martial arts, why are we spending so much time in boardrooms and corporate meetings and all of this? No, I disagree, Rod. And if you're going to spend that much time, let me ask you a real simple question. What does Rand do? Yes, thank you. (laughs) It does everything. It's Viridian Dynamics. I can tell you what Stark Industries does. I can tell you what three of the main subsidiaries of Wayne Industries do, even. And that's always been purposely made. So, I really like Ward Meacham. Of all the characters in this entire TV series, I find Ward to be the most human and redeemable person of all of them. Alistair, I'm actually going to agree <laughs> with you, because I tease him about trying to be Robert Duvall, because, oh my god, he is. Seems like he's trying to be like Wall Street. For- oh, Michael Douglas? Okay, I could see that. He actually had an arc for the first half of the series. He was the one with an emotional arc. The way he kept his assistant through an almost idolatry was compelling. Wait, are you talking about Harold or Ward? Harold. I was about Ward. I couldn't give a stuff about Harold Meacham. But he's the manipulator. He's obviously the manipulator. And sure, he got caught out with a bad run of luck. He's so obviously what it is. And, and it's telegraphed so badly. My thing about Ward is, Ward is a manipulative addict, been manipulating his family since childhood, knows he can get away with it, has a really, really problematic hallucination episode that goes on way too long. Yes. (laughs) Problematic things about mental health are something I think we really will need to talk about in this. He never has to actually do penance for this. He gets forgiven by everybody. And that's real life. 
But I'm not looking for real life in a comic book show. But I am looking for something I can grab onto. You know, none of these people are, are anything I can uh, really associate with. Like I said, they were robots. Yeah. They were robots. Yes. And, the, and the only one I really gave a stuff about was Ward Meacham because of the way he was being used and manipulated and, and like, he was tr- having to keep secrets. I mean, just imagine that. Your father is alive. You're the only one, apart from the assistant who knows about it and you have to do everything your father tells you to do because you just gotta you know oh man okay i can almost be with you on that since we're pretty much there at the hospitalization can we get a little deep about how they present mental health in this because i actually wish hannah has reasons why she can't be here this week but oh i really wish she was here for this because i want to talk to her about this we could do a special about mental health on television (laughs) The vengeful hospitalization and the truly fabricated ways to manipulate a 72-hour home. Oh, God, yes. And the hallucinations that go on. I counted the sunrises and the sunsets we got. His bad heroin trip lasted two weeks. Now, I've never done heroin myself, but I've lived a varied life. I know people who have. If you were having that kind of a bad trip for that long, your heart would explode. Nothing about this rung true. Compare this to, I don't feel like I belong in this world anymore, where, yeah, there are a lot of problematic aspects, but they all resonated. Right. So how about this? When Daddy gets admitted into that hospital for the first time, and he wakes up, and there's a bloody doctor with a fork at his throat. Oh, you know, this is the same person who's then allowed to tour him around yeah. the hospital. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. This man, who's obviously mentally ill, is about to murder a completely helpless patient. And they're just like, oh, no, it's nothing. It's cool. No, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's so totally strange, too, because you get the idea that this mental health facility that they're holding him at, punishment is taking place there, that they're not really yeah. trying to help you. And then the doctor, for all of a sudden, for some reason, because the plot kind of requires him to, suddenly actually starts investigating oh, God, what's yes. happening. You know, doing his job. And it's like, if you were the kind of person who did their job and actually investigated whatever claim was being made, I don't think your facility would be like this. It was just really odd. Then we go to Mansplaining 101. After the flirting in Central Park that, unless you speak Mandarin, you can't follow, Danny finds himself at Colleen Wayne's dojo. First off, he's told, don't talk to my students, you are not an instructor here. What's the next thing we see him doing there? Instructing the students. And especially when he chastises them for, like, the dojo is a sacred place, respect yes. your master, and you're like, what the hell are you doing exactly. there, dude? <laughs> like, you're in her dojo, motherfucker. <laughs> we talked about Colleen being part of the fight club. And deriding her for it, where do we see him next? In the tournament. Okay, maybe not mansplaining, but definitely some toxic masculinity going on here. I don't want your money. You don't have to pay rent. What does Danny do? He buys the building. I mean, that's almost Fifty Shades. It is. It's a nice bit of manipulation when you put it that way, yeah. Definitely. And again, we're coming off of Luke Cage, where he was antithetical to toxic male stereotypes. Then we start seeing Madame Gao. I want to say this right now. Misty Knight from Luke Cage, Colleen Wink from Iron Fist. I want to see a Daughters of the Dragon series where the big bad is Madame Gao. Totally agree. She is fascinating. The actress is amazing who does it. She has this kind of like quiet menace and manipulation to her. And, you know, every little bit they reveal to you about her makes her way more interesting. I'm absolutely convinced she's a dragon. For a long time, I was convinced she was a scroll, 
but now I, I'm not on that theory. Yeah, I'm not sure what her story is, but I want to know. And that's the difference, is I want to know about her character. Yes. I don't really want to know anything more <laughs> about this version of Danny Rand. There's a rumor that she and somebody we're going to meet far too late in Iron Fist are going to be part of the villain team in Defenders. That right now is a rumor, but I hope it's true. Okay, there are some TV series which I think are absolutely outstanding and excellent. I'm a big Star Trek fan, just so you know, and even the worst episodes of, like, I know, Voyager still had more continuity, yes. thanks Brennan Braga, than the series of, of Iron Fist. And I just think the only way is up for the series too, if they even, you know, agree to it. That's an- another note I have there that kind of goes to that, is there's no clear villain in Iron Fist. There's the hand. It's just so muddled in, in who they're supposed to be opposed to. What is the hand? The hand is this sort of mystical organization. Well, great. How do you, as, as a viewer, watch it? There are so many organizations which have a figurehead. And even if, if the nemesis and the protagonist never meet, you still would see through the act of, aha, this is my evil plan as I speak to my minions. Person in shadows giving orders and you aren't revealed who it is until the final episode or, or yeah. something like that. But you don't have that. I was about to say Madame Gao, but one of the problems is it's not always Gao. We had the Meachams for a while. I really feel like that really goes back to the fact that you don't have a director for all of the episodes. They're telling a very incoherent story because there's no one with a grand vision for this. There's no running thread, even with like thematic elements they keep tying back. Like They're all over the place in tone character. It's just really poorly managed. So, I mean, you have to cut them, the actors, a little bit of a break if they can't get, if they have nothing to latch on to their character. Especially when the main character's power set is treated in a completely inconsistent manner. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There are three main powers that you get from the heart of Shenlong in the comics. Gain the ability to focus your will into a thing like unto iron, which I waited 13 bloody episodes to hear that line. A healing power, and you do not age. Well, we get he can punch really hard some of the time, unless the plot requires him to have a hard time in the fight. <laughs> right, because of his chi being he clouded. Can heal <laughs> one time. They wrote themselves into a hole about poison, and we have a story that's too compressed to show his longevity. What the fuck? <laughs> There's so many problems with this show. You know, speaking like the martial arts, the only time they ever really show him doing something is when he's doing like old lady in the park tai chi. That they keep him on the you know the full. They don't cut for that, but the fight scenes they do. It does come back down to writing and the screenplay itself. The ability of uh, the writers to put together a cohesive storyline, make the scenes fit together, and output a good result at the end. Actors have their part to play, but, you know... Yeah. If it's not on the page, it's hard. Yes, exactly. Unless you're Harrison Ford and can take things that are on the page and, you know, make them far better, yeah, it's... Gee, George, you can write this, but I bet you can't say it. None none of the characters or the actors really bring out any sort of emotion other than, frankly, boredom for me. So after I looked at the number of directors, I went to look and see, like, well, who wrote this piece of shit? And there's just as many writers. There's not just a few writers where you'd have, like, a tight control and vision for it. There are well over a dozen writers for this series. So it's a writer's fanboy fiction about white guys, martial artists... uh, uh, impressions in New York City. I think everybody went into this thinking they were writing and directing their own TV movie. 
there's no consistency within the show, and that's a big problem that I keep coming back to. They did achieve a show like that. It was called Supernatural, and it was, at least in the beginning, well-written. It had all the elements that we crave, and had relatable, likeable characters. The path they took is different, but they have both had mystical training at the hands of someone special. They both lost their parents. I mean, there are so many similarities you can draw there. Yeah, I mean, your hero's journey has points it has to hit, right? That's the story we wanted, right? And what we got was a disjointed series of things that seem to happen to a guy who has superpowers, incidentally. Not that we get to see them very often, and when we do, they're confusing and they don't seem to follow any rules. Going back to the supporting cast, I'd like to talk about Zombus, the Steel Serpent, who doesn't get the name yet, but that's fine because this is very early in his character. Why did he come in in episode 11? Why we're supposed to think of him as an ally? Do we first see him torturing a man in the food truck? Oh, with the tinfoil. <laughs> yeah, the tinfoil shuriken. Yeah. I will grant that showing that he was able to just pull tinfoil into something that sharp and that strong was a good show-don't-tell. Coming back to the pacing, we don't get enough time for Danny to organically care about him to feel the sting of the betrayal. Also, he's just a real trite thing. He's not been to Earth much, has he? He was actually born in Kunla. Why is he wearing shoes? <laughs> yes! Oh, God, yes. Exactly. Why is he wearing shoes when he turns up? Yeah, why does he, who's never been outside of the cities of heaven, why does he understand how to blend into New York better than someone who was born there? A friend of mine, Stephen Barnes, who's a black science fiction author, brought up in one of his online talks, if we had gotten the first season of Iron Fist was him in Kunlun, him learning from Shang-Chi the Thunderer, who we only see once and hear a few times, him befriending Zavos, and then facing Shaolin the Dragon, who we get teased so much, and then all we see is his eyes, Miss Opportunity. If we'd gotten that story as our first season, and then it ends with him coming into New York to put him in place with the defenders, so much might have been better. Even if you had done a half and half episode, right, where you have, you show Danny in New York and he's got a problem, and then it flashes back to scenes of his training that relate to that, where he's trying to learn, this is very much going back to how Iron Fist does, when he does a, yeah. a special martial arts move in the comic, you get a big panel with the name and it's ultra cool, right? So if the whole episode was him learning how to do like a... Mm-hmm reverse triple dragon punch or whatever cool name they're much better than my name that they're going to come up with it you have them trying to learn that the whole in all the flashbacks yeah. and then in the final fight scene he finally pulls it out and does it and it's relevant to what he's doing which they do a little bit in the tournament and that made the fight scenes way more interesting like just do that it's not even a special effects thing it's just tying everything together in this reeks of missed opportunity my main takeaway for this is that i'm just disappointed yeah, it feels very much like a first draft. The script is a first draft. This is a dress rehearsal. They need more practice. They need one yeah, they director. They rush to get this thing in front of cameras. And I bet you they'll keep it going because Marvel's hot shit right now. They have unlimited money to throw out projects. After Daredevil Jessica and Luke Cage, at this point, so much time has passed, we had already had announcements of a second season. I have not seen anything saying yes or no yet. That silence, I think, is telling. Need him for the Defenders, but are they going to do a second season? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything really worth saving here. After Defenders, they should really give that spot to Dodgers of the Dragon. Know that Netflix has given them a fourth slot for next year. We just don't know what they're putting in there. And I really, really hope we get Colleen and Misty. 
Yeah, that would be nice. Like a Heroes for Hire yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. Is there Misty can get her bionic arm, which she didn't get in Heroes for Hire. She got in Daughters of the Dragon. You can learn more about Colleen's mixed heritage, which, again, somebody of the ethnic blind spots, if they touched on the fact that Colleen is half Japanese, half American, you could have seen, all right, at least they acknowledged something going on. The whole thing, I think Missed Opportunities is a really good keynote for this. It's a lot of anger, I think, and disappointment directed at this show. And rightfully so. This was your choice to saddle us with it, so... Yeah. Well, I felt like we had to, to touch on it. Because, I mean, we do a comic mm-hmm. podcast, so obviously we're interested in it. This is getting a lot of discussion online, and I knew there was going to be a lot yeah. to talk about. So, I think it was the right choice to watch it. I don't know if I would recommend anyone else do that. <laughs> so... Definitely don't recommend it. Actually. Yeah, no, not really. I will give it one and a half drunken kung fu masters. I will give it two Madame Gao sneering. I would give it one day of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. This just occurred to me. Just to give you an example of how bad the fight scenes are in this, if you remember when we reviewed Shadow Hunters, the fight scenes in Shadow Hunters are more compelling and interesting than the fight scenes in Iron Fist. And wow. That's not good. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Every week we each bring a show to consider watching. We then vote for a show and we cannot vote for our own show. The show with the most votes is our next show to watch and review. Something I noticed just dropped on Netflix recently is a show called 13 Reasons Why. And this feels very much like the West Scene game. A person who knows they're about to die, knows who is at fault sets up a way for everybody to discover who it was that killed them. I thought this was based on a like a young adult novel. A novel, yeah. About yeah. someone who kills themselves and leaves a bunch of like letters basically saying why they did it. Yeah, it was on my list of things to recommend too. So Yay! I got to steal something <laughs> from Ryan. I've got a couple, so And from me as well. Oh yeah. wow. <laughs> got a short list, so it's on there. But Alistair, why don't you go ahead uh, with your... I was going to suggest 13 Reasons Why Myself. I really want to see that uh, based on the reviews I've seen for the book. And the fact that we've been covering a lot of mental health issues recently, especially projected on television. So I'm going to go for Samurai Gourmet again. As I said before, I've really begun to love uh, Japanese culture. Uh, I love the idea of an episode going about the food found around Japan as uh, feeding your inner soul. So yeah, I'll, I'll pop Samurai Gourmet back up again. So the series that I'm going to recommend that we watch is also a Netflix series called The Discovery. It's a new one. So this is basically scientists have verified proof of the afterlife. Hmm and that you can reach across those barriers and then kind of how that affects the world. Like, if you knew there was an afterlife, how would the world change? And if you knew, and this kind of brings up, I think there's someone on the show, people start killing themselves to be reunited with their loved ones on the other side, which is kind of an interesting angle to it. And then there's what happens when those now those sides can communicate with each other. So I think it sounds like an interesting sci-fi thing that takes a premise and then applies it to the real world and how things would change. And I don't think it's particularly religious in nature. I don't think the afterlife is necessarily heaven so much, but I'm interested to see how they deal with it. It looks interesting to me. Between those two, I will vote for the discovery. Having said that about uh, <laughs> about uh, Mal's show, 13 Reasons Why, I really love the idea of the discovery. Okay, hands up here. I didn't even realize what that was about. So I come from a, a fairly religious background. 
Not that I'm overly so, but the idea of the afterlife is very interesting. So I'm going to actually change my idea and go with the uh, Discovery as well. I will vote for 13 Reasons Why. One of these days, I'm going to find one that everybody likes. So, that was Iron Fist. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcasts, Four Color Nerds Comic Book Reviews and Broke Gaming, at fourcolornerds.com, or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. Be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep streaming, nerds.